know, my name's Casey. I'm one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor, Van Decody, he's at our Long Beach location. For many of you who don't know, we have three locations, and uh, he's there preaching the house down. He said, it's time for me to get over there and put the veteran anointing on the place. No. Pastor Mike and Ashley's doing a great job, and uh, we're just excited to be a part of it. You know, we're in a series, Red Leather Day, and this series is really, really a pivotal series, I believe, because it's given Jesus' last words. It's a great guy that wrote a book, and he said, Jesus' last commandments has become my greatest priority, and I think that we can learn a lot from Jesus' last words. If you believe that, say Amen. I know, I know I can. Week number one, you know, one of the words of Jesus was, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And we realize that God's good and that he's sovereign and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And in week number two, he said, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Man, that's a powerful statement. When people can be hurting you and coming against you to be able to say that out of your heart with gravity. And this week, we're going to talk about I thirst. I thirst. And in John chapter 19, verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished now, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. I thirst. You know, when Jesus was on the cross right there, theologians and medical doctors have studied the crucifixion over and over again. Jesus was totally dehydrated. He had a major loss of blood at that particular time. He had sleep deprivation. He was in emotional exhaustion. I mean, for the physical body, he was thirsty. I mean, you can imagine. I can't imagine the thirst. I mean, just think about one time in your life, the, if you were ever thirsty, there's no comparison. I even think about, I was reading about people that might have come up with the greatest thirst and a lot of them were some of these people trying to escape from islands and they swim through the salt water for hours and hours and hours and dehydration sets in and there's no comparison no comparison right here and Jesus said I thirst and at that particular time he was fulfilling prophecies that were prophesied about him years and years uh, way before he even came to planet earth in the form of flesh and he said I thirst Now we see a prophetic psalm. Now prophecy is things that were foretold in the past that would happen in the future. And we see a a prophetic psalm in chapter 22, verse 15. It says, my strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. Chapter 69, verse 21 says, but instead they gave me poison for food. They offered me sour wine for my thirst. If you look in the gospels and check out the scene there, the crucifixion scene on the hill called Golgotha, you'll see that the first time they offered him a sour sponge and he, he refused it. But then the second time he took it, Jesus is the ultimate perfect picture of God on planet earth, fulfilling everything that he came to do. Jesus, you know, when he was crucified, he was still so focused. He was so accurate in every word that came out of his mouth. He was calculated. He was fully aware of his mission and purpose. 
even to the small detail where he said, I thirst. That's monumental. That's paramount. That's unbelievable for us to even fathom Jesus's focus, his, his accuracy. You know how we are. I see it sometimes when I go to the doctor. Men begin to cry when they get a shot in their arm. They have to turn the other head while they're getting blood drawn. How many of you are like that? Now we got <laughs> Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. But Jesus, man, he is a man of all mans. And we got to realize, yeah, Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% man. He felt every pain we felt. He felt every temptation, every struggle. When the nails were going through his feet and arms, he felt the same excruciating pain, the trauma, but yet he was focused he was focused on his mission. Jesus was thirsty. And that's what we really want to blow up today. This thing called thirsty, this thing called thirst. And we'll see as we study the life of Christ that we're really not looking at physical fulfillment that comes from water and food. Jesus was passionate about fulfilling the Father's will. He was thirsty to fulfill the Father's will. Luke chapter 2, verse 49 says, but why do you need to search for me, he asked. Didn't you know I must be in my Father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. This was when he was a little kid and he got lost, except he didn't get lost in the clothing store down at Dillard's, right? He was in the temple, man. He was about his father's business. And when his parents came back, he said, don't you know I was thirsty to fulfill the father's will at a young age? I think it's wonderful that we can raise our kids up in the, in the ways of God, that we can get them in the environment, that we can set the example of what it means to be hungry after what God has designed for us as people, which, by the way, is the most intelligent design you can ever find. It's the most perfect will you can ever tap into. It's the greatest fulfillment you'll ever find. You know, food and water brings great fulfillment, right? We know it. At lunchtime, we're going to be fulfilled. I mean, a lot of things try to fulfill us in life, but nothing fulfills us greater than that good ribeye steak or that ice cold glass of water after you mow the lawn. You know how it is. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're going to do. It doesn't matter what your possessions or your bank account looks like. There's nothing that fulfills you when you're hungry and thirsty, right? But there's a greater fulfillment than that that we have to tap into. Look in John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus, as a man now, he's explaining to his uh, disciples, he said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. There's another scripture that says, man can't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He said, I'm going to show you a secret. Many, many times over again, when you're studying the life of Christ, as you're going through the gospels, you see his disciples, right? Bringing him fish and bread. He said, my food's coming from another source, guys. You're worried about a fish fry, but I'm focused. Right now, we got to eat. We understand that. But he was teaching us spiritual fulfillment that's far greater than any earthly fulfillment we can ever possess, period. And when you tap into doing the will of God, when, and you can say, my food or my nourishment or my fulfillment, 
is for accomplishing or is coming from accomplishing the will of God, you've tapped into another level. I was thinking about the scripture on the way to church this morning. It said to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be earthly minded is death. And so we as people, if we can tap into this thing like Jesus, our life will change. He was thirsty to fulfill the scriptures. We know in John it said, he said, I am the word made flesh. We know he was born of a virgin in Bethlehem to fulfill all prophecy. We know that he overcame every temptation, even in the garden of Gethsemane, when he sweat drops of blood, when he was about to be crucified, when he was about to be betrayed. He knew what was coming. To me, that's one of the greatest temptations ever, knowing that the torture was about to happen and knowing that he had to fulfill that to accomplish every word spoken of him and to accomplish the perfect will of God. Man, when you're sweating drops of blood, I can tell you right now, you're, you're, you're fighting temptation. There's one scripture that says, we haven't denied sin up to the point of bloodshed. I think that we can learn from Jesus that he, he, was, he, he fulfilled the scriptures. He, 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 that, look, theologian says that he fulfilled 44 messianic uh, prophecies, at least. That's, that's unbelievable. That should build our faith to see how God is so synchronized, how God's timing is impeccable. It's unbelievable. Jesus was also thirsty. He was passionate about fulfilling people's lives. He was passionate. Passion is the greatest thing that you can possess as a person. You can give me somebody who has the skills and the talent with no passion, or you can give me somebody that doesn't have the skills and the talent with passion, I'll take the person with passion all day long. Every time, all the time, every day. When we have the passion, and I'm not talking about the passion of man, there's a difference between the passion of man and the passion of Christ. I can get passionate. You know how it is. The football games are on, man. I've seen guys swing right there in front of the television, man. Bow. I mean, that's pretty passionate, you know what I mean? Or stupid. Right? And I've seen men that are passionate in the corporate environment that drives the status quo, that brings incentive programs and drives the force to make more money, and that's great. I love passion. But there's nothing in comparison to have the passion of Christ inside the life of an individual that causes you to go beyond what the average status quo mediocrity type man goes after that says, I'm willing to do what it takes to help people, to fulfill people's life, like Jesus. Jesus is unbelievable. Luke chapter 4 verse 18, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is Jesus reading out of the Old Testament scrolls in the temple with the scribes and the Pharisees, the people of the law, he opens up the scripture and, says, and he reads this scripture. And then he says, just a few verses later, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He said, I'm it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to fulfill people's lives. What you've been reading about out of the prophetic scrolls, I'm it. I'm him. It's here. 
You can imagine what those guys did. They pulled the phylacteries off their head. These guys used to wear these big boxes on their head called phylacteries. It was a representation of how many scripture verses they could memorize, right? The bigger your phylactery, the better you are. I'm sure he, he, he angered those guys when he said, today the scripture has been fulfilled. Every scholar in the room, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill Jesus, man. Jesus is my hero, man. Look, he, he, he didn't have any pride. He didn't have any arrogance. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly why he came, and he brought a confidence and a genuineness that caused the religious people to want to kill him every time he came around. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So we see even into his ministry that he was fulfilling these things. There's a guy named John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that ever lived on planet Earth. I mean, this guy was extreme for Jesus. Yeah, he was, man. He, he scared all kind of people off, I'm sure. I mean, it said he, he, ate wild, he ate locusts and ate honey. That's all he ate. I mean, this dude was lean and mean and a preaching machine. <laughs> I can imagine, man, this guy... I don't know what he looked like. I'm sure he didn't shave every day. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean? Some, some of you theologians might know, but I don't. This guy's, I can just imagine John the Baptist, his hair, like I'm talking just, and his eyes bright. And when you look into his eyes, you probably melt, man. Like, my God, I repent, Lord. <laughs> I mean, this is, the, this is the power that was in John the Baptist. When Jesus said there's no greater prophet that's come before him, and there will be no greater prophet after him than John the Baptist. Man, that, my friend, is whoo. Man, you're talking about power. But watch this. I'm going to show you the frailty of men. This is John the Baptist. He was in prison. Herod put him in prison. And after all of that, prophesying, saying, this is the Lord, He's come. This is the one that's going to take away the sins of the earth. Jesus fulfilling what he said he would feel out he read out of the prophetic scrolls, accomplishing his ministry. John was imprisoned, and he was asking, did I miss it, guys? You can imagine the, 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 the torment in the mind of the greatest prophet that ever lived. In prison, thinking, was he the Messiah? Did I, was it accurate? And you know what happened here? Luke chapter 7, verse 22 then he told John's disciples, Jesus, he, he told John's disciples, he said, go back and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the, day, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. He said, send that back to John the Baptist in there in prison. I know he's struggling. Let me tell you something, man. We are just people, and so are these people in the Bible we read about. Look, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that ever lived. Imagine this for me. King Herod had some girl dancing before him. Dance, give me a dance. You know how it is back in, you read history. And, and, and he said, I'll give you anything you want. He was seducted by a dancing girl, and she said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. The greatest prophet that ever lived had his head cut off in prison because a girl danced in front of a king. Can you imagine that? God is sovereign. He takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things to fulfill people's lives. 
and to accomplish his mission, unbelievable. And you know what? We should be the same. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So we see the passion of Christ. We see that he was thirsty to fulfill the the, the Father's will. He was thirsty to fulfill the scriptures. He was thirsty to fulfill people's lives. We see the greatest prophet ever fulfilling people's lives and accomplishing the will of God and doing the word and his head is hacked off because of a dancing, seductive woman in prison. It's not a matter of how you die, folks. It's a matter of how you live. It's a matter of what we're doing today. We've got to be thirsty. We've got to be hungry and passionate like Christ was. We have to embrace the Father's will. As people, we have to embrace the Father's will and go after it. And there will be struggle, my friends. When I look at the greatest prophet of all times in anguish in prison saying, did I miss it? He was fighting the good fight of faith. Isn't that what the, the Bible says? Fight the good fight of faith. Finish the race that's marked out ahead of you. Learn from the great men that's gone before you, the men of old, that even though they were fulfilling and embracing the Father's will, there was a struggle. There was a, there was a mind battle. There was an emotional battle. There was ups and downs. There was crying out to God, did I miss it, God? The fight of faith. Embrace the Father's will as people. Embrace salvation. Embrace redemption. Embrace being a new creation found in Christ where the old passes away and everything becomes new and is of God. A brand new life, a brand new beginning, finding out what you were created for, having God route out all of the dysfunction and the behavioral patterns and the wrong thinking and causing you to, to, to come back to what he's always created you to be, what he's always created you to do, embrace salvation. I remember when I got saved in year 2000, I was a 23-year-old man. I was passionate, man. I was extreme. I was passionate. And when I got saved, I remember, I remember like it was yesterday. I said, this is what I was created for. And I'm not talking about just like in a pulpit preaching. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when I, when, when, when I was enlightened, when I got a revelation of who God was for myself, I mean, it was God speaking to me. I realized that this is what I was created for. This is why I exist. This is what it's all about. It's God. I've never thought about God my entire life. I've never thought about a church. But at that particular moment in time was a demarcation point where I embraced the Father's will completely and fully. I, I, it was like God for just a moment of time opened up the shutters and I looked down on planet earth, literally, and saw the frailty of my workings, saw the, the, the pitifulness of my lifestyle, the way I thought, what drove me and what didn't drive me. And then I saw people. It was like they were sheep without a shepherd. I mean, they were weary. They were blinded from the doctor to the dope head, to the drug dealer, to the pimp, to the prostitute, all sorts of people. Just in a moment of time, I saw everyone the way they were, and I thought, my God, 
This is what I'm created for. God wants you to have those moments. Because it's those moments that change your life to then where you embrace the Father's will. After that moment, I had to do something about it. God gave me a free will. It was my responsibility then to embrace the Father's will totally and fully. And that's how we have to be as people. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. The will of God is that we'd be pure. I had a revelation knowledge of the crookedness of the generation I was living in, the crookedness in my life, the wrong thinking. The cr- I was this crooked. I was upside down, perverse, unbelievable. And, and, and we are to live a lifestyle of purity. So you know what? Immediately at that particular time in my life, the Bible says abstain from all types of evil or run from the adulterous woman or flee from immorality. That word flee from immorality says put your track spikes on, strip the clothes off, put the, the little skinny pants on, and wind sprint, my friend. <laughs> Look, when, <laughs> when it says run from the seductive woman and run from sexual immorality and be pure and flee the, a perverse generation, that means, boy, I'm talking about, who can do a 100-yard dash in here? I mean, that's the picture. And you know what? I ran for my life. And for some, it looked very extreme. I could care less. I ran for my life. My, my sister, and I don't, I don't, I'm not saying to do this by any means. Let me preface that. This is not the word of God. This was from me. My, I, I was embracing purity. My sisters, I don't know, they were out their house, one of my sisters, and she brought over a big stack of pictures Said, look, I found some pictures of you, Casey. I thought you might want them. I said, okay, thank you very much. And I started looking for them. I said, well, I appreciate it. And she left, and I threw a big pile on the ground, and I put lighter fluid on it, and I burned them all. Because it was a picture of me in the past. And I, I'm telling you right now, folks, I said, I'm out. You talking about the shark tank? I'm out. You talking about out? I'm out. One minute I'm here, next minute I'm gone. I'm gone, son. Carl Lewis didn't have nothing on me. Oh, <laughs> You got to embrace purity. But that was, what, 15 years ago. But you know what? Still today, I'm reminded that the old man still lurks in the shadows. And so I still have to embrace purity. I still have to run from immorality. I still have to watch my eyes. Come on now. I still have to watch what the cravings of the flesh are doing inside of me and say, oh, Ouch, man, Casey, come on now, dude, you can do it. Absolutely. Embrace the Father's will. Then we got to embrace the Father's word. We have to embrace the Father's word in its entirety. Cross over not understanding the Bible. Cross over, I'm not sure if it's real, just embrace the word of God for your life. Embrace it. Not just the written word that we read, the spoken word into your heart, into your spirit, into your being, where you know in your knower God is nudging you. Don't ignore the nudges because you might just miss out on God's best for your life. Don't ignore the nudges, folks. Embrace the Father's word. Get to know the Bible. Psalms 119 says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. Without it, you walk in darkness. I have no light without the lamp of the word. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, 
but in the end, it leads to death. Wasn't I just reading in the, in the one-year Bible today that says, when you wage war for victory, you need many advisors. Look, I don't care how long I've been in the Word of God or what I might know in my intellect. It's all about where my heart is. It's all about my softness to yield to the Spirit of God and allow myself to stay humble and say, you're right, God, I'm wrong. You're, you're leading me down a path of everlasting life. I'm going to embrace your word. I'm going to let it stir up into my heart. I'm not going to ignore it and turn the music up. You know how it is, some of you, uh, some of you might write right now, and I remember when I was a teenager, you know what I mean? Especially if you went out on a date or something and you had that clang in your car, you just turned the bass up real loud. But there's a clanging of the Holy Spirit in your life that wants you to turn the music down and fix the clang. Absolutely. Man, we got to embrace the Father's Word. Then we embrace the world. We embrace the world. We are soul winners. I know that's a Bible word, but we're soul winners, man. We're, we're, we're passionate about winning souls. We're passionate about being part of God's plan of building his house, his kingdom that's everlasting, soul winning. We know in 2 Peter that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. You know how it is. Oh, well, God's never going to come back. Yet, 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 the mockers. But he's patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but all should reach repentance. That's us. We go after it. We go after people. We invite people to Jesus through our daily interactions. That's right, man. Preach the gospel in season and out of season. Let me just get Bible on you. Preach the gospel. Share the good news. The good news is not uh, reserved for a pulpit. I was talking to a guy about three months ago, and he said, you know what? I'm called to preach the gospel. I said, that's fantastic. Who are you preaching to? It's like, man, you called to preach? No, then who are you preaching to, man? Start preaching today. It's not about, preach the gospel. Talk to people about Jesus in your own personality, in your own uniqueness, in your own flavor, in your own personality. Look, you can reach people that I can't reach, and I can reach people you can't reach. But you know what? We're all scoring a touchdown. Get in where you fit in. Walk slowly through the crowds. Be open, and un be open enough to have the Holy Spirit nudge you and say, I want you to talk to that individual. I want you to pray for that individual. I want you to invite this individual to church. And also, I might add, know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> Look, I can tell you this right now, uh, and, and some of my family's a testimony. I used to get on my hands and knees like this, about 2001, and beg like this, beg with tears in my eyes, come to church. God is real. God is real. And I'd get in an argument with my sisters and they'd speed off and I mean, they might have flipped me to bird. I'm not sure. And I would bang my fist and say, God, why can't they see? Can't they see? And I'd preach and preach. And I overpreached, by the way. And and God said, Casey, stop preaching. Start serving. I'll do the rest. 
some plant, some water, but God brings the increase. When you know how to, when you know, when you know, when you know, when you know when to let off and you know when to dig in, all of a sudden you will find the art of soul winning. See, God is a awesome God and you are a tool in the shed and he wants to sharpen you and he wants to refine you and he wants to show you how to be accurate. He wants to wake you up at night where you can pray. He wants to put a burden on your heart that causes you to begin to pray for people like you've never prayed before. This is the passion of Christ. It's not for a pulpit, it's for us. It's for us. And then he wants us to help disciple people. Philippians chapter four, verse nine says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. God wants you to leverage your influence. God, look, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to help people. You can be shoulder to shoulder with an individual. You don't even, I might add, have to be one step ahead. Sometimes the best encouragement is say, look, we're going together. I remember a gentleman that, that, that God allowed me to participate in soul winning and in, 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 in bringing him to uh, church and, and have an experience with God. And, and I systematically went through the scriptures with this individual. I'm talking Old Testament and New Testament. And, 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 and the, the guy was like, man, I really appreciate everything you've done for me. Uh, every, every note card, every, I'm talking hours of investment, months, years. But I was getting so much more. The greatest growth takes place in the life of an individual when they take responsibility and they begin to put their shoulder to the plow. When they begin to swing the bat, it's called on-the-job training. Anybody ever heard of it? Look, some of the greatest surgeons and doctors of all time, you know they're practicing medicine, right? It's okay, we're in practice. But you don't get better till you take out the knife and start cutting. You don't get better until you start swinging the bat. It's not until your swing is refined until a coach can watch your swing and make tweaks. I'm here to encourage you today. Begin to move forward. Begin to take some responsibility. Begin to put one foot in front of the other and watch God bring exponential growth to your life. Watch God change your passion. Watch God change your mindset. Watch God put a fire on the inside of you and cause you to rearrange your priorities to accomplish his will. I heard one guy said this. God spoke to him in the time of an offering. This ain't about money, by the way. He's a businessman. And God whispered to him, he said this. You build my house, I'll take care of your house. You know what that scripture reminds me of? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that are going after. The rat race, folks. 
the rat race. Yeah, we're going to eat. We're going to build businesses. We're going we're to take care of kids. We're going to get an education. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go through life. But he said, make the kingdom of God an everlasting kingdom that never ends, a perpetual kingdom, your primary focus. Basically, what he was saying is become fixated fixated on the kingdom of God. And we have to fight to stay fixated. We have to fight on a continual basis to come against distractions of this world, distractions of our mind. I have to do it all the time, so I know you got to do it. I can have an office in the temple. That means nothing. Y'all with me? Passion. Passion to be a witness. We need passion and power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That word witness means martyrs, by the way. You'll receive power to be my martyrs. Thank God we can preach the gospel without heads flying right now. If heads start flying, the church will thin. Next point, stay thirsty. Stay thirsty because it's natural. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in salvation. It's an instinct, folks. It's not a religious treadmill that I have to force my... When you get right with God, instinctually, you'll begin to crave the things of God. And in order to stay thirsty, you have to go to work. John chapter 9, verse 4, we must work that the works of him who sent me, we must work those works while it's day. Night is coming where no one can work. Where no one can work. Work today because it glorifies God. That's what it's all about, glorifying God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus is the greatest of all times. He said that if I be lifted up, we're in a Red Letter Day series. He said if I be lifted up on the cross, if I be lifted up to fulfill the perfect plan of God, if I be lifted up, to die for people. I'll draw mankind to myself. He said he'll do that. And I just believe that God's drawing a few of you in here today. I do. I believe that the spirit of God's tugging on your heart. You're in a church. God, God invited you here. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him. I'm going to simply pray a simple prayer here. And if you want to be included into that prayer and you say, you know what? God's dealing with me right now. I know it. It's my time. I'm ready to respond to him. I know that's why I'm here. It's not about my past. It's not about if I was in church or not in church. It's about this very moment, this very day, this very time. If that's you and you say, you know what? That's me. Please, I want to be included in that prayer. Just lift your hand. Put it right back down. Just quickly. Thank you for your hand, ma'am. I see it. Sir, I see your hand. Ma'am, sir. God's dealing with your heart right now. 
The Spirit of God's going deep. It's not about this message. It's not about the words that was organized here on a piece of paper. They thank you for your hand, ma'am. I see it. Sir, I see your hand. I see your hand, sir, right there. See, God is all-knowing and all-powerful. Didn't matter what I preach today. It's the Spirit of God drawing you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what season you're in, what time you're in right now. Anyone else? Thank you for your hand. I see your hand over there, ma'am. Your hand. I see your hand. God's working on the inside of you greatly. A work that no man can do, only God himself. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray right now, and you're just going to agree in your heart and say, God, that's me. Yes. Yes, Lord. I'm just going to put some words to it, but God's dealing with your heart. Say, yes, Lord. That's all it takes. God sees it. Just say, Lord, save me. Save me right now, God. Save me right now. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, Lord. Take my life as it is right now, God, as it is in this very moment. The good, the bad, the ugly, the accomplishments, my failures, everything. Things I know, things I don't know, God. I lay all that aside. I need you. That's what you're saying right now. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus. Just tell you, I receive you, Lord. I receive the price you paid for me as an individual, me right now. In Jesus' name. And while we have our heads bowed, I'm just going to pray for you real quick. Father, I pray for every person that prayed that prayer. God, I pray for every person, God, in this room that a new fire, a new passion would boil on the inside of them and that they would see things with clarity and run the race that's marked out ahead of them as individuals. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's, let's give it up for those who prayed. Thank you, Pastor Jordan. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv slash connect and fill out the information, our lead pastor, Van DeCody, wants to send you a letter that tells you some steps to take in order to maintain your new relationship with God. We'll also give you some information about Northwood Church. We are one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach. If you live in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv slash locations, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give. You can give a one-time donation, or you can sign up for our online community called MyNC and set up a recurring gift. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.